Today on the podcast, we have author of the Anna Karenina fix, Life Lessons from Russian Literature, Viv Groskop. Viv is also a podcast host, a journalist, a comedian, and a trustee of Pushkin House. So this is going to be interesting. From the heart of Bloomsbury, London, welcome to the Pushkin House podcast. Well, yeah, but we won't go over we don't need to talk for an hour. Okay. Well, unless you really want to. I mean, God. I don't think anybody wants to hear an hour about Russian literature. Now, I'm prepared. I've done my research. And one question that always kicks things off when it comes to Viv is her name. I wondered if she could give herself a name today, what would it be? Well, the name I always wanted from when I was a child was Sarah Smith because that's the most common English name in the part of the world where I grew up, in Somerset. Mm-hmm. And, or Tracy, Sarah or Tracy, and probably Smith or White would be the name that I wanted because that's the name that my parents kind of pretended that we had. And I had, as a child, I had a cat and I called my cat Jane because that was, to me, the most desirable name. You know, I really, really wanted, like any child wants to be normal and ordinary and to belong and to fit in. And I had no explanation, there being no internet in the 1970s, (laughs) I had no explanation of where this name could come from. But in the end, it became a fantastic opportunity for me because... I was very imaginative and I settled on the idea that it was Russian. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few cues and you can take it from there. Somerset, roughly 13 years of age. Viv Groskop stumbles in a charity shop and chances upon a copy of Anna Karenina. What happens next? I love when you talk about me in the third person, like I'm not here. (laughs) Um, So I think um, the idea that I was Russian had settled on me quite early and I guess didn't really have an outlet for quite a long time because I couldn't learn Russian at school or anything like that. And then, yeah, in my early teens, I came across a copy of Anna Karenina because I didn't really grow up in a house where... Neither of my parents went to university. Um, They read a lot, but they would be reading things like, you know, Catherine Cookson and my dad now is obsessed with Lee Child. So it wasn't even so much the the quality of the book that attracted me so much as the cover. That picture was just so iconic and I just immediately, without even having read about the character, imagined myself as that woman. Mm. Okay, so I think what we can do now is something new. I've never done this before. You're trending on Apple Podcasts, and that's something we can only aspire to at the moment. We've just bought a new microphone. In the spirit of Dear Viv, a podcast in which you offer advice to your listeners, I wondered if you could attempt this. I've put together a few types in a hat. These are modern-day creatures craving your advice. So your job is to take a few out read them out, and tell us what your recommended fix in the form of a Russian classic for each case is, and 
why? Right. I love this. This is a great idea. Let's go. Yeah. So one of the reasons I wrote this book is because it does mix up two obsessions for me. And one is kind of that's that therapy and self-help. And the other is Russia, Russian literature. So this is ideal. Oh, this is great. Right. Oprah Winfrey, as the 46th president of the United States, which of course she will be, before her first state visit to Russia. I would suggest that she reads the entire works of Masha Gessen, but I would caution her that that would probably make her want to cancel her state visit. And depending on, depending on circumstances in Russia, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? When will a US president have a state visit to Russia? So I think if, if Oprah was planning a state visit, then we would be living in a very different world to the one that we're living in now. In that case, of course, I would advise that she reads my book, especially seeing as it's coming out in, in October in the US. Uh, and I, she needs a crash course in classic Russian literature. So definitely starting with Anna Karenina and moving on to War and Peace and Crime and Punishment, all of the classics. I, actually, I know that Anna Karenina is a favourite novel of Oprah's. Bearded Shoreditch type often has very long orders in coffee shops, but apart from that, eats nothing but the occasional helping of dust. I love this. So that kind of person, hipster, is an automatic... Um, Master and Margarita, they would have already read it, I would have said. I've seen these types come to events that I've done at literature festivals, and I will always ask of all the 11 titles in the book, I'll go through them and get people to raise their hands as, as to what they've read. And it's always the bearded Shoreditch types who have already read Bulgakov. It's the lesson every hipster needs, which is how to have a sense of humour about life. <laughs> but what was I advised to hipsters who are graduating from Master and Margarita? I would say something like um, Heart of a Dog, if they hadn't already read that, the Bulgakov novella, or The Fatal Eggs, the short story, or maybe something like We by Zamyatin. Um, going back into that 1920s, 1930s satire era, or maybe even somebody like Alesha, mm -hmm. um, who's an author I read a long time ago and really loved, something like Envy. Disillusioned millennial living in a commuter town. I'm asking for a friend. Well done, Boromir. <laughs> um, I've actually answered this question um, for the Observer's book clinic for this uh, weekend. They've got this really interesting new feature in the Observer book pages where people can write in and with a problem related to literature and a young woman has mm -hmm. written in to say I'm a millennial all of my friends are on social media all of the time how do I find the time to read beautiful long Russian novels and I've given advice about how to chunk it down and do 50 pages a day um, make sure that you make time in your life to read, you know, do 15 minutes before bedtime, just have that constantly in mind that you need to find the reading time, that's my advice to her. Uh, for a tip for what to read for the dissolution, <laughs> we don't want to be reading Crime and Punishment, do you? Because <laughs> God, that you would be... <laughs> Raskolnikov is the ultimate disillusioned 19th century <laughs> millennial. Putting the hat aside for a moment, I want to focus on one of the constants in Viv's work, her focus on women. Does Viv have a favourite woman? 
yes, I have always written a lot about women's issues. I've written a lot about feminism. I've written for The Guardian for the best part of 20 years. So it was something of a challenge when I came to write this book about the classics of Russian literature because clearly there aren't any women. And, you know, there's no point in being silly about it and trying to re-establish the literary reputations of people who just weren't that big in their day. I mean, you've got somebody like Tefi or Akhmatova who is in the book or Marina Tsvetaeva, but you don't have anybody who's like Tolstoy or Dostoevsky. It's just a fact. So in the Russian context, I absolutely love Anna Akhmatova, of course. Um, I first discovered her when I went on my year abroad from university in the early 90s and arrived in Russia and was treated in that way that lots of women were treated um, during that post-Soviet time of being shown this extraordinary deference and condescension at the same time where you would meet people and they would say oh you are a woman and therefore you must love sweet things which I do um thanks for the chocolates for a minute which is sitting right next to me it's It's a very Russian gift to butter the ladies up with chocolates um but also they would say and of course you must love Anna Akhmatova and being from a British university I was studying at Cambridge I was a couple of years into my degree I hadn't really come across Akhmatova at all and in Russia, that's the equivalent of saying that you've never heard of Jane Austen or Virginia Woolf. So I had to very quickly give myself a crash course and became obsessed. Uh, and I had a friend, um, Tanya, a friend of mine who was a nurse, who in her spare time would go to these Akhmatova poetry recitals, which were very much for the devotees of the cult of Akhmatova. <laughs> this was in St. Petersburg in 1993. And... They would all go, it was mostly women, but some men, and they had learnt Akhmatova poems off heart, and they would gather in these rooms for about 30, 40 people in the evening and declaim the poetry in this very dramatic, slightly insane way. And I became very taken with this and decided that if I was going to be properly Russian, I would have to learn to do the same thing myself. Now, I wanted to pose a question to you as simple and complex as just, what is your definition of Russianness? (laughs) Define Russianness. Wow. Well, I think the definition of Russianness is becoming very muddied and and negative now. I think previously it used to be quite romanticised and both sides of that coin are kind of ridiculous and the, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. So I think the previous view of Russianness, you know, I'm thinking really pre-Putin, was... There was such a time? Oh, I know. <laughs> Who can even remember such a time? But it was very much a riddle wrapped inside an enigma, wrapped inside a massive mystery or whatever mm-hmm. that quote is. Uh, so that idea combined with oh, the greatness of Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and the great mystery of, of the, you know, of Siberia and of course, all of that. Of um, so that has now become wrapped up in the pseudo-totalitarian view that we're supposed to take of Putin. And what I've tried to do with this book and in most of the things that I write is to look behind all of that and say okay great politics is one thing 
but politics is not everything. And there are many people in Russia who live their lives outside of politics, or at least wish that they could. Of course. And the whole culture of political disengagement has been a healthy feature of, of Russian and Soviet life for decades. Um, which is in some ways why the Soviet project was able to survive for so long. You know, this is not just the case in Russia either, it's the case in many other countries where uh, you know, there's internal exile, where, where people just don't engage with the political environment at all and they get on with their lives. And I think what's quite interesting now is that that's a, quality, a sort of quality of Russianness that we're being forced to understand now in the West because we see now in our own political environments, how frustrating it feels when you can't engage, when everything becomes very polarised, when people get into power who just seem so at odds mm -hmm. with what you believe in that there's no point in even voting anymore. It's, I've been talking about this quite a lot in literary events and I can see people really nodding and, and agreeing with it. And I think the Brexit vote in the UK has a tinge of that, the rise of Trump and the rise of nationalist movements in Europe has a tinge of all of that. I think people are suddenly starting to think, oh, I have some very small inkling now of what it might feel like to be Russian or Soviet, in that people are getting into power who I really don't approve of, but seem to be quite popular. What do you do then? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really interesting. And the only hope that I would have for Russian Russianness as a quality is that it doesn't get completely co-opted and corrupted by the Putin project. You've been listening to the Pushkin House podcast. I'm Viv Groskop. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And do order the paperback June the 7th because this is an exclusive. I'm going to see what's left of the dilemmas, okay? Shall I read them out? Go for it. So, frustrated retiree was once hoping to make a move to Spain, but is now unsure about it all given the political climate. This sounds like the kind of person who comes to see me at a literature festival. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. An overweight man who looks like a Rosie in the front row of your stand-up comedy gig. That man is there every time and has fallen asleep in the front row of my stand-up comedy gig before. Uh, and for David Blimey doing his thin white cheek face. Um, something cool for David Bowie. I'm trying to think of Russian friends who love Bowie and the sort of things that they would love to read. It's got to be Master and Margarita again. again. Surely. Yeah.